Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that considers all aspects of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have news stories including a local distributor of new cars sets up a used car network, Great Wall Motors embraces electrification, and the new Nissan Qashqai gets five-star safety ratings. And in our features, we review the place and performance of the Haval Jolion small SUV from Great Wall Motors, and I also catch up with Bob Holden, the winner of the Bathurst race in a Mini in 1966. He turns 90 soon. We spoke to him about his last race in 2019, when he was 88 years old, and you will be staggered by his performance. For more information, you can go to drivenmedia.com.au with links to social media and our new Instagram site. So to begin this program, which was first broadcast on the 22nd of September 2022, let's have the news. Inchcape, the Australian distributor of Subaru, Peugeot and Citroen new cars, has established Bravo Auto in this market. First introduced in late 2021 by Inchcape in the United Kingdom, Bravo Auto is a global automotive brand which sells used cars with additional value-added benefits. The key benefits are if a customer is not happy with their car, they can exchange it within the first seven days, They have a six-month, 8,000-kilometre warranty, although this is only valid for vehicles that are up to 10 years old or 160,000 kilometres, whichever comes first. There's a 12-month free roadside assistance, a 150-point safety check, haggle-free pricing. They set the price and that's it. Flexible test drive and delivery options, including the option for overnight test drives, and you don't have to use their financing, but it is available. They will have a strong online presence, and they have opened their first physical location in Penrith, an outer suburb of Sydney. Other locations that are scheduled to get a dealership include Pakenham in Victoria, Norellan in New South Wales, and Bundora in Victoria. Great Wall Motors has announced that they will launch more than 50 new energy vehicles by 2025, a number of which are already in advanced stages of design and development or already on sale in the Chinese domestic market. The models will cover hybrid, plug-in hybrid and full electric vehicles. Great Wall Motors is a vehicle manufacturer that focuses on utes and SUVs. In Australia, they sell just three of their models, the Haval Jolion small SUV, the Haval H6 medium SUV, and the Great Wall Ute. Currently, they have just 2% of total new car sales in this country this year, but their 24% increase in sales compared to 2021 is way ahead of the overall market that is still 0.6% behind last year's figures. They say that they will also complete their first zero-carbon emissions factory in 2023, and they are already testing their first hydrogen vehicles. One of their brands, Aura, is dedicated to electric vehicles and has produced some small sedans, which have not yet made it onto our market. Another brand name they have is Way, and they have announced two new models, 
The Coffee One will be a plug-in hybrid that, they say, will have a range of 150 kilometres on electric power before you have to start using the petrol engine, while the Coffee Two will be a more compact version. The soon-to-be-released new Nissan Qashqai has received a five-star rating from the ANCAP crash testing program. The five-star rating applies to all petrol variants. This small SUV achieved five-star scores in each of the four key areas of ANCAP assessment. One of the most impressive scores of 97% was in the safety assist pillar. This is an area that tests the vehicle's ability to detect potential dangers and warn the driver or intervene in the driving process. For example, full points were scored for its active lane support and its AEB, Automatic Emergency Braking, Junction and Backover capabilities. AEB pedestrian and cyclist performance was also strong. A high score was also achieved in the assessment of the Qashqai's speed assistance system, which helps the driver to stay at or below the appropriate speed. In the more traditional areas of minimising harm if a crash does occur, maximum points were also awarded for the Qashqai's ability to protect the driver in the destructive side impact and oblique pole tests. Adequate performance was recorded for the chest of the driver in the frontal offset and full-width frontal tests, and marginal performance noted in the full-width test for the chest of the adult female dummy seated in the second row. High scores were awarded for the Qashqai's protection of child occupants, with an overall child occupant protection score of 93%. All cars get a variety of test scores depending on the type of test, and the location and size of the occupant. And that has been the news. We have in the past spoken to Bob Holden, winner of the 1966 Bathurst Endurance Race in a Mini, with co-driver international racing legend Rauno Altonen. We put a post up on our Facebook page just recently at the time of the latest Bathurst race, just remembering Bob's past efforts. It reached over 38,000 people and all the comments were wonderfully positive about what an encouragement and a gentleman Bob was. So I thought we might just catch up with Bob to see how things are going. Good day, Bob. How are you going? Uh, pretty bloody good, actually. <laughs> When's your next birthday? Um, about a month or so's time, the 1st of December. And how old would you be then? Sounds a bit frightening, but 9-0. How about that? You going to have a big party? Um, not terribly, because we're a bit too far away to have one of those, and plus I think we can't afford that sort of thing that easy. But we'll have, have the right people over here, and they've even told us, told us they want to come. That's even better. That's lovely. When was the last time you raced? Um, the very last race we had was, I think, February, March or sometime, <clears throat> the year the COVID started. 19, yes. And what was the event? Eastern Creek, normal, regular meeting in our, in our situation. We run what we call uh, heritage touring cars, and I run my little Corolla, or front-wheel drive Corolla. 
This is pretty serious racing, isn't it? There's a lot of guys that spend a fair amount of money. They might be old cars, but they're still extremely competitive, aren't they? Well, it's it's even more so than people would expect. They're all sort of... Because, uh, let's face it, motor racing in, in that sort of situation gets to the ego stage, I think. <laughs> and And... People like to do better than their best lots of times, and and they do, and they do it damn well too. And the cars are always prepared better than you'd ever expect in the old days because we could never afford it in the old days. What were the conditions like? Practice was damp, and the first race for the weekend was on the Saturday afternoon, I think, and it was still pretty wet tyre conditions. Do you have wet tyres? Do you have a set of those? Yeah, thanks to Mr. Mitchell, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the second race? Well, the first race was the important one because, um, believe it or not, in my little baby Corolla, I finished third outright in amongst all the Nissans and V8s and all those sort of funny great fat cars, and they did not like it one little bit. Who were the two winners, the first and second? What sort of cars were they? Our own... Family Mustang was Greg Keem driving, and the next guy was a V8 Commodore. I can't think of his name, though. I think it was a Commodore. The two cars ahead of you were huge, big V8s. Oh, I don't know about huge, but they're just normal-sized ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, compared to a four-cylinder Corolla, who prepared your car? Me, me and me. So you would have been, what, about 88 you raced in a very competitive event in the rain in a car you prepared yourself. Two big V8s came first and second, and you came third in a Corolla. How are your times then compared to a few years before? Um, I was probably good as I've ever done because in the conditions. It's just that I prefer driving in the rain, mainly because you've got to work a bit harder and, and use a bit more experience. <laughs> No, it gives me it gives me a bit of a chance to make up for the lack of money and stuff, I suppose, you know. But um, mm. but it's like everything in life, it's what you make it. I make the wet roads pretty bloody good for me when it's motor racing time. Even treacherous conditions like that, you hardly, I think only with the one mechanical breakdown, you never crashed. What do you put that down to? Self-preservation and worrying about my silly feet because... Let's face it, if the car stops or crashes or whatever, I can't back, get back to the pits in my own steam, if you know what I mean, because I can't walk good enough, even uh, you know, I might lose if I can go, but I can't go very far. That never seemed an incentive to slow you down, but just to be much more precise. No, more careful. <laughs> I think you, in the Bathurst race of 1966, when Rano Altonen came out, he international driver, I don't think he'd ever seen the track before, had he? No, no. No, it was his first time here, I think. And you had to take him around it? Well, initially, we we went out to normal practice. Um, yeah, we practiced in those days. I don't think we used to qualify as such. I think the first 60 got a start sort of thing, if you know what I mean. Mm. No, Rano was intrigued that um, my time was a fraction quicker than his. And his comment was, I think there is... Uh, if, uh, the Finns speak a bit different to us if, if you've ever been with any of them. They're quite fun to listen to. <laughs> 
But Rano said, I think there must be some, 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 he was trying to think of the words, um, local knowledge in that. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. He said, can you tell me? And I said, no, I can't tell you because it's too hard. But what we'll do, when things quieten down tonight, I'll, I'll find, a, I'll make sure that we can do a quiet lap around, not go racing, but just to show you there's a couple of funny bits on the circuit. And he said, oh, right, I shall wait for that, was his words. So anyway, when dark time, or darker time came, when the track was open for the locals again, I drove him around, and the biggest difference was being in a little car. So we were in a mini, amongst all the other minis, of course. I took him up the hill, and do you know the track yourself? You know where the cutting is? Yep. Steep in, entry into the cutting and up and over. Well, I got to the base of the cutting and stopped. And I said, now, walk around the track on the line where you drive the car. Walk around and up the hill a bit and then turn around and walk back because I'll wait here for you. So off he goes and uh, he comes back and he says, uh, it is very steep. I said, yes, it really is. You must remember, we've got a little car. And he said, well, what's the correction? I said, so, all right. I said, we'll sit in here and I'll drive you around this time. Well, sorry, no, I think what I did, actually, I said, you walk around the outside of the track mm-hmm. and I'll pick you up when I, when you, when I walk, follow behind you and pick you up, save you walking back all the way again. And uh, he said, he said, uh, I, now I see we're a big difference, he said, for a little car. And uh, from then on, we both did equal time, so that was good. He was wonderfully open to that, wasn't he? Because not all international, hugely successful drivers might necessarily be prepared to take advice or even seek advice, yet you've remained wonderfully firm friends since then. He really was a gentleman too, wasn't he? Um, He's better than that. He's a very, very special person. One of the most special things which didn't come out for, um, well, probably close to 50 years, which we did, I think, in Melbourne. They have a motor show thing in Melbourne every year at the uh, great big bloody place they put us all in. Hmm. And uh, it's a, oh, what do they call the thing, Colin? Do you remember? What's that? The show in Melbourne we did. Motor Classica? Motor, yeah, that's it. Motor Classica, that's the one. Anyway, uh, we had to <clears throat> sit out and, and uh, make like uh, question time for people. Hmm. And anyway, they introduced Rano as the world champion, which virtually nearly was. And uh, anyway, and uh, talked about Bathurst, and he said, "Yes, yes, we were, we won Bathurst." He said, but. It wasn't me that won, it was yours truly. And he said, uh, and they said, how do you mean? And he said, well, did the preparation and the, God, I can't think of the other word, um, uh, when you work out what you're going to do or things and tell people what you've got to do. Strategy? Strategy, that's the word, yeah. And his, his preparation and strategy won the race for us. Now, that was in, in front of in front of a, uh, an audience and 40 overs, maybe 50 years down the track. Now, that, to me, was better than special. 
and highly deserved. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you very, very much for your time. And that was Bob Holden, winner of the 1966 Bathurst Endurance Touring Car Race in a Mini with co-driver Rauno Alterman. This is Overdrive across Australia. The Lexus RX SUV is due for a new model early in 2023, but we drove the latest RX 350F Sport recently to have a look at the outgoing model. Last updated in 2019, the RX 350F Sport hits that sweet spot of size, performance, ride and handling as well as features. It's powered by a 3.5 litre V6 petrol engine, provides 221 kilowatts and 370 Nm, drives all wheels through an 8-speed sports automatic transmission. The F-Sport moniker really is for a trim and tune specification, rather than any representation of faster sporty pretense. To clarify, it takes around 8 seconds from 0 to 100 with a top speed of 200km an hour. However, buyers will benefit from a standard adaptive variable suspension, thicker engine braces, larger stabilised bars, active cornering assist, and tuned electronic power steering with better responsiveness. As you would expect from Lexus, the interior fit and finish is excellent, and the F-Sport is a particularly comfortable place to be. I've always liked the RX models, in particular the F-Sport. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, our motoring reporter has been out and about, he's testing cars, but also travelling a little bit. Evan Jones joins us on the line now. G'day, Evan. G'day, mate. How are you? You were where did you travel to just recently? My car club of club lotus australia we had a trip to tasmania you took your evora down there correct drove out of sydney all the way down then got the ferry across correct what's the roads like for a lotus in tasmania uh, they're near on perfect for a lotus actually uh they're relatively smooth they're nicely made and for the most part incredibly twisty so lots of fun lots of fun without uh worrying about bottoming out and potholes and things like that so uh yeah if you're a, an enthusiast driver it's the state to be in i reckon yeah driving from the top to the bottom you can go on a, a nice sealed road uh, or even on a dirt some dirt roads in the back there i've done a few road launches in that regard it, it is rather wonderful there is of course a great danger there though isn't there i to refer of course to roadkill yeah, yeah. Uh, I say it was a great holiday. Uh, really enjoyed it, but it was depressing to see the amount of roadkill uh, that we saw driving around. Lots of animals on the side of the road had been hit. Um, the, you know, many of the roads, which are otherwise a hundred k limit on them, have uh, nighttime limits down to sixty uh, to try and uh, reduce the amount of roadkill that occurs. Well, that's an interesting approach, isn't it? Yeah. We think of those sorts of dangers around schools and children, but maybe there's a need for a different speed limit given the the conditions might uh, be particularly poor for other reasons. Tasmania in general, did you enjoy the features, including the restaurants while you were there? Food in Tasmania is amazing, especially when you realise you're not paying any more down there than you would on the mainland for what they consider to be average food. But what you get down there, you would pay double for in Sydney and not even blink. Uh, the, the quality is that good. It's amazing. You ended up down at Hobart? 
yeah, we spent a couple of days at Hobart. We walked around a bit around Hobart because it's not the biggest capital city in the world, but it's uh, still very uh, oldy-worldy in the way it's uh, presented. And uh, there's an area um, which is like their rock, mm. and uh, there's lots of restaurants and antique shops and, and old pubs there, really worth looking at. Down by the harbour, down by the port? Yes. Yep. And to drive out of Hobart there, you've got at least three sets of traffic lights before you're in a nice twisty forest-type road, sealed, but uh, particularly good, particularly if you head, head down south, perhaps not heading uh, necessarily north over the bridge, but certainly down south. I love it. I, I reckon it's great. We'll come back just after the break. We'll talk a little bit about a Great Wall Motors car, the Haval. This is Overdrive across Australia. Well, welcome back, Evan. Now, we had a drive of the Jollyon. Is that not a silly name for a car? I stopped worrying about names of cars a long time ago when you had the Starion, which was actually a mispronunciation, but became the actual name of the car, including the badge with the R, not the L. (laughs) So I stopped worrying about that a long time ago. And we're talking here about a small SUV. It's called the Haval Jollyon. It fits into the small category. It's the second smallest SUV. There is light, small, medium, large and upper large. It's a pretty competitive particular part of the market, but they are aiming very much at price. Now, you got in it for the first time. What was your reactions? I thought it had been designed by uh, an Italian enthusiast back in the 60s. It was the classic, really short legs, really long arms. What made it worse is the steering column wasn't telescopic. Now, that today, as far as I'm concerned, it, it should be a basic a basic adjustment in a car. It's not hard to do from a design point of view, not hard at all, And but you couldn't do it. So I either had it set up so I couldn't reach the steering wheel or I had it set up so I could reach the steering wheel and my knees were around my ears, and there was nothing in between. And there are a couple of little quirky things about it. You put the indicator on to change lane, but the lane keep assist still tried to keep you in the lane you're in. uh, You found that particularly almost disturbing. Well, the regular listeners will know what I feel about lane keep anyway. But, yeah, it's bad enough when you have a lane keep assist, but when you actually have one that that doesn't agree with what your intentions are, no, that's not good at all. So, yes, I was fighting to change lanes, even though I was indicating. So, if you allowed yourself enough leg room, you ended up, I think your word was like an orangutan, needing very long arms. It does suit a smaller person. But I think if you're over 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, you're going to have trouble with this car. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty low figure in considering. But given that the driver's ergonomics is not good, the passenger, including the rear seat, how did you find them? Well, there you go. Talk about a car of contrast. Incredibly comfortable, both front and back. In fact, I set the seat up, uh, the passenger seat up for myself, and then it's an old pick I like to do. I then immediately get into the back seat to see how much leg room there isn't. But in this car, there is acres of it. It is fantastic. This would be the best car for any back seat driver. You'd put the kids in the front and you'd sit in the back. It's amazing. <laughs> 
Well, I know my kids would like to do the driving, but that's another issue indeed. It is a small SUV, yet when we compared it, we parked it beside, say, a Hyundai Kona. It looked a bit bigger. Yes, I know, I know you're saying it classed as a small SUV. It doesn't come across as one in presence. Now, from a styling point of view outside, I, I don't mind the styling, actually. Um, there's a grandeur about the, the way the front's designed with that the big grille and everything, and that I, I rather like the look of that. But overall, the car, is it a performer? No, it's only got 1.5 with a turbo on it. It handles reasonably well, but they really need to sort out the ergonomics for the driver. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a simple addition of a telescopic steering column, and that car, you could definitely live with that car. Oh, that and the bloody electronic, mm-hmm. so, sort them out. But yeah, a, a simple telescopic steering column would fix a thousand ills in that car, it really would. We talked about how Great Wall has developed over the years, and I mean, we've seen it with the Japanese and then the Koreans, where they started out almost cheap and nasty, but soon became cheap and cheerful and developed. I think the technology in the car, it's actually quite extensive in the base model, surprisingly called the premium. I'm not sure I fully understand that. The base model has, you know, reasonable sort of luxury features, but the technology for assisting the driver, it's got lane departure, it's got adaptive cruise control, it's got a, a range, it's got cross-traffic alert, it's got a driver fatigue awareness system worked by a camera just down by the driver. So it has a lot there, but it, perhaps it's not quite as developed as well as we might see say, particularly with the Korean companies? Yeah, um, we mentioned earlier how little it costs really for what you get. On a value-for-money basis, it's going to be hard to toss. But one could argue that it's got lots of tech due to the price. That tech's not that well-developed or that well-sophisticated. The lane departure with the blinker on sort of indicates that. I can't say you get what you pay for because you get a lot with this. But I've just got to remember that it's not that finesse. The base model premium starts at uh, $28,500. And the top of the range ultra, which is one we drive, beautiful big panoramic sunroof. I don't like them, but when you've got it, it went right back over the passenger. It was a very revealing uh, sort of uh, car. And, you know, a whole range of features that I thought were rather good. Uh, but that costs about thirty-four thousand dollars. Now they've just about they've just brought out a hybrid, which will cost about forty-one thousand dollars, which is quite a steep jump when you're talking about the cars that they compete with. The bang for your buck, not so much in engine, but certainly in terms of features, is not bad. So Florence would clearly say as well, you know, it would suit her down to the ground. You could tell she was very comfortable driving it. And uh, I think that's the type of market it's aiming for. Those of us who look at a, a car as a piece of engineering and assess it accordingly, we've obviously found the car wanting. But someone who wants a car that's there every day, uh, reliable, and does everything with a no f- and does lots of things with no fuss, yeah, it'll, it will do well. It will do well. Seven-year warranty included, which I think is to their credit. So that is the Haval Jolion, our road test, and we're just putting together a video at the moment. Evan, great to talk to you, mate. Thanks for your time. No worries, mate. 
This is Overdrive across Australia. Toyota has launched another small crossover SUV. It's called the Corolla Cross and it sits somewhere between the CHR and the RAV4. The Corolla Cross comes in three models, GX, GXL and Atmos. There's a choice of petrol and hybrid powertrains and two-wheel drive or electronic all-wheel drive on the hybrid versions. They look like a smaller RAV4 and inside it's exactly as you would expect from the Toyota formula. I do like the new central tablet though, new generation Toyota multimedia system, it's a vast improvement. As you would expect, the Corolla Cross, based on the multi-platform, drives smoothly and comfortably and does very little wrong. It is ideally suited as a city runabout that has room for longer trips when desired. Toyota now has in the smaller SUV segment the Yaris Cross, the CHR, the RAV4 and now the Corolla Cross. The Corolla Cross however leaves all the others behind with the latest safety sense package and connected services. Corolla Cross is priced from $33,000 through to around $49,000 plus the usual costs. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Evan Jones, Florence Fuller, Bob Holden, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, including links to our new Instagram site, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>